Welcome to the Nimrod Outdoors podcast, where we challenge and equip men, husbands, and fathers to become the spiritual leaders of the home. Let's dive right in. Today's episode is sponsored by Pure Clean Soft Wash. Pure Clean Soft Wash is a family-owned exterior cleaning company offering pressure washing, house washing, roof, driveway, and gutter cleaning. Find them at Facebook at Pure Clean Soft Wash or online at purecleanga.com. That's purecleanga.com. Well, what's going on, folks? This is M.A. Dozier with another Nimrod Outdoors podcast, and uh, I just want to say it's good to be back in the saddle again. I got a little uh, hijacked uh, the last episode, and that was awesome. It was, uh, man, my wife is incredible, um, and she loves me way more than I deserve, and to, to have my kids included on that for a Father's Day uh, podcast was amazing. Uh, it was a great surprise. Um, but today I want to talk about uh, I really want to dive into the story of Peter um, and talk about how, just in a short time, how Jesus basically changed him from a man that was had a lot of potential into a man that was just unstoppable for the gospel of Christ, um, and and the process that that took, and and how failure plays into that, um, and how we all as men somehow, some way can relate to Peter uh, in, in his walk with Christ um, and what we can glean and learn from that. But before I really get started, I just want to make one announcement that um, the brand new 30-day devotional from Nimrod Outdoors, The Hands of a Warrior, uh, is available. You can find that on our website at nimrodoutdoors.com, or you can reach out to us via email at contact at nimrodoutdoors.com. Um, or you can contact us through our social media platforms, either Instagram or on Facebook. Um, and we'd love to get a book. Uh, men, this is a book written specifically for us to challenge, equip, and encourage us to be the spiritual leaders God has ordained us to be. Um, so if you'd like a copy today, um, let us know. Reach out to us. We'd love to get that into your hands. Um, it is something that uh, we've worked hard on for oh, maybe about a year and a half, um, and so for it to finally come to fruition and be tangible in our hands uh, is an awesome thing, uh, but we don't want them to just sit around. We want, uh, we want them in your hands so that uh, God can uh, use them for His glory uh, to build the kingdom. So if you'd like one, reach out to us today. We'd love to get you one. Uh, but uh, before I keep on talking, let's dive into Peter um, and who Peter was and how Christ changed him. Um, and really, you know, when we talk about Peter, you may have heard some other things about Peter, but Peter was a man that uh, he was a fisherman. He was kind of probably uh, callous and rough and blue collar. Um, but one thing Peter had was he had zeal and he had passion. Um, and a lot of times as we read through this, we'll see that uh, Peter didn't know how to uh, channeled that zeal and that passion, um, and it got him into some trouble and some times. Um, but just walking through how Jesus handled him and how Jesus took him from just simple old fishermen into one of the most influential and passionate men for the gospel of Christ in the early beginnings of the church and in Acts is just amazing to me and so many things out of Peter's story I can look at and just relate to. Um, so I wanted to dive into it, especially for us as men, to 
really understand what God has for us or what he has called us to be. But ultimately as well, uh, what that takes a lot of times is us getting out of our own way. So we'll start uh, in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. Um, and here is really kind of, obviously there's a whole lot more about Peter when he's walking with Jesus, but I really wanted to just focus on uh, right here at the Last Supper, all the way kind of through Acts a little bit, the beginning of Acts. Um, and that, that's going to be our main focus. So we're going to start in chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. Um, and basically, it's at the Last Supper, and Jesus, I'll just read it. Jesus says this to uh, Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And so, you know, what we see here is Jesus basically foretelling a failure on Peter's part. And uh, Peter... <laughs> Peter, you know, loves Jesus, and, and I think, you know, if, if we call ourselves Christians, this is something we should have. We should have passion and zeal for the name of the Lord. But in Peter's zeal, he what does he say? He says, I, I am ready to go to prison and die for you. Um, and we'll come back to this in a minute, but what we see here is almost uh, Peter's ego and his pride and his uh, passion for the Lord overshadowed the truth that the Lord was trying to tell him. Um, and ultimately, in this moment, Peter was was putting all his confidence in who he was as a man and not in who Jesus was. Um, but if we continue on and we go to Luke chapter 22, verses 47 through 53, so really we're just jumping forward, um, you know, about 10, 15 verses. And verse 47, it's uh, it's... In Luke, it's the portrayal and the rest of Jesus. And it says this, While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus with a kiss. But Jesus said to Judas, Would you portray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant and the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched the ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temples and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out against a, rob a robber with a sword and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. So what we see here is somebody, when they're coming to get Jesus, one it says one of the disciples drew out a sword, and cut off an ear. Well, this is Luke's account. If we go to John's account in John chapter 18, we see that that individual was actually Peter. Um, so Peter went forward with passion and zeal again in his attempt to defend Jesus, um, and he cut off a man's ear. And what's interesting to me is, what does Jesus say? He says, no more of this. And so what, what Jesus is saying is, hey, like, I appreciate your passion in your heart, but this is not needed. This is this is a bad use of your passion and zeal. And man, so many times I get caught up in this as as a man is I get 
what I feel like is maybe righteous anger or I get passionate about something. Um, And man, let me tell you what, the church in general in America needs to heed this, this call because we are we are doing a lot of pulling our swords out and trying to cut off people's ears when those are the very people that Jesus went to the cross for. And so even though we have passion and zeal and we feel like our heart's in the right place, what we ultimately need to do is sit at the feet of Jesus and say, all right, Lord, tell me what you want me to do, and I'm not moving until you do it. But when we act in our own accord and we act out of defense, man, we could get ourselves in some big trouble. Um, and what I find interesting, too, is just the fact that Jesus not only said none of this, but he actually touched the ear and rehealed the ear of the individual that was coming to take him. You know, there was a whole bunch of people there, but Jesus had the mercy and compassion in order to love on an individual that was ultimately bringing him to take him to the cross. Um, and so we see a complete contrast of, of basically Peter wanting to destroy these people that are coming to take Jesus. And you see Jesus himself giving mercy and grace and, and healing this guy's ear. Um, and Jesus could have just said enough, and the guy would have still lived. But Jesus put him back to the way he, that he was whole. Um, and I just find that interesting because as Christians, we often, way too often, and as men, we way too often get caught up in trying to defend the kingdom of Christ. We try to defend Jesus. We try and defend our faith. We try and defend this or defend that. Well, in Hebrews, it tells us, I believe it's Hebrews 12, it says us, tells us, let us be uh, joyful that we are a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. So if we are a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, there's no reason for us to have to defend it. You know, it says in Revelation that Jesus is victorious. We know where the victory lies. So any movement that the devil stirs in our heart to try and make us defend the gospel, we need to ask this question. Are we, when we pull out our sword and we, we feel like we have to defend the gospel and we have to defend the kingdom of Christ, are we cutting off ears that Jesus is going to have to go back and put back on? Because... Guys, we were never called to defend the kingdom of Christ. We are called to be warriors to go out to seek the lost and seek those that are no lo- that aren't in the light, shine light on them and bring them back to the feet of Jesus. But Peter is acting just like we act every day. And and here's the thing, if Jesus wasn't there, think about if this happened and Jesus wasn't there and Peter drew a sword and cut off the ear. First of all, that gentleman that that guy that was coming to get Jesus, if Jesus wasn't there, he would have had an ear that was cut off that could not be fixed. And do you think he would ever have come back to Jesus and been like, man, one of your followers here, you know, he cut off my ear, but it's no big deal. I, I trust you. No, that guy would have been like, them Christians, them them Jesus followers, they they pulled out a sword and they're they're hacking away and they cut off my ear. Like, I don't want anything to do with that. And so we as men in the church need to be mindful that our main goal is not defending the kingdom of Christ. It is not defending our Christian values. Our main goal is going out and spreading the love of Jesus and showing others who he is and what he has done in our lives and hope that the Holy Spirit grabs hold of these souls and brings them to him. So I digress. I I get a little 
I get a little passionate about that. Um, and so, you know, in Peter's life right there, we need to make sure that we are not doing something that is counter, basically not, we need to make sure that we are focused solely on what Jesus has told us to do. And he never told us to defend the kingdom of Christ. He told us to go out on rescue missions. So what we see there in Luke chapter 22, 47 through 53, in the portrayal of Jesus is we see Peter trying to take matters into his own hands. Um, he didn't consult Jesus about, you know, what should be done. He didn't, he didn't say, hey, Jesus, how do we handle this? He literally just in a moment of reaction and passion just pulled his sword out and went to hacking away. Um, and that was not what Jesus intended at all. So we see a man that has a lot of passion for Jesus. But we see, also see a man that is kind of erratic and sporadic and doesn't, have, doesn't know how to channel that passion. Well, we get to Luke chapter 22, and we skip a few verses forward again, starting in 54, going through 62. And this is accounts of Peter's denial. Um, and, you know, here's the thing. We as men sometimes get in our own ego and we get pride and we're like, we'll never do that. We'll never do that. And then we do it. And man, we beat ourselves up about it. Um, but in 54, we see this. It says, then they seized him, talking about Jesus, and led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. The servant girl seeing him, as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. So what? let's go back to the very beginning at Luke chapter 22, verse 31, when Jesus told Peter, Look, Satan has looked, look, is looking to sift you like wheat, and I am praying for your faith that it does not fail. And when you turn back, you can strengthen your brothers. And so here's the thing. What did Paul say? I mean, what did Peter say? Peter goes, I am ready to go to prison and die for you. Well, now he's at a moment in which he can stand firmly on who Jesus is and who Jesus was in his life, and he's denying him. And what's amazing to me is not only did he deny him once, he denied him three times. And Jesus told him that this would happen. But in our moment of like pride and ego, how many times are we say, we'll never do that, and it takes to the third time of us doing, a, doing it for us to realize, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm doing what I said I would never do. Um, and that's what Satan does. He traps us just a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And then what's, man, in verse 61, it says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So really, this is rock bottom for Peter. And, and man, I just... When you reread this, what I find interesting is, is Jesus, this isn't Peter just doing it off somewhere. Like he is with an eyesight, within earshot of Jesus. Like Jesus 
hears him doing this. Jesus is right there with him to the point where it is dark, and by the firelight, they can lock eyes. That's how close Peter is to Jesus. And so in my mind, I'm like, man, why didn't Jesus say something? Like why, the first time Peter denied him, why wasn't Jesus like, Psst, hey, I, I told you. But Jesus just remained silent. And then the second time, you know, Jesus didn't do anything. It, you know, I, I feel like a good, a good friend or a good father in Jesus, would he'd been like, hey, I, I'm warning you. I told you. That's your second time. Um, but Jesus didn't do that. He just stayed silent, and, and Peter just kept going. And the more and more I dive into this, I realize that this was necessary. This was necessary for the development of Peter and who he becomes in the early church in Acts, and we'll get into that in a minute. But this was a necessary moment in Peter's life in which he had to lose it all. He had to get outside of himself because up until this point, Peter was so passionate and so prideful on who he was, who Peter was. And he wasn't very passionate about who Jesus was or could be inside of him. And so if we go to where Peter says in Luke 22, 31, I'm ready to go to prison and die for you. And then he goes to cut off the guy's ear and he takes, takes, you know, basically matters into his own hands. And then he sits here and while Jesus had told him, Hey, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Peter denies him three times. And it wasn't until the third time in the rooster crow that it says that Peter remembered saying of the Lord. And so Peter went out after the rooster crowed and, and wept bitterly and he locked eyes with Jesus. And so up until this point, again, Peter had been solely focused on what he could do in his own human form for the gospel of Christ and what he could do for Jesus and how he could defend Jesus. But he didn't take into account that when we as men rely on our own ability, 100% of the time we will fail. See, here's the thing. Our victory in this war, our victory in this spiritual war, and our victory in becoming the spiritual leader of our homes and with our kids and with our families, it lies with Jesus. And if we think that we could do it on our own, we are sadly mistaken. And we are, we are, we are setting ourselves up for failure. And so what I was saying earlier was that this is, this is a pivotal moment for Peter. And I've said this before, I actually say it in this 30-day devotional, that in order for us to become the men God have called, has called us to be, we have to get away from ourselves. And a lot of times, this takes a moment in which Jesus crushes us as human men so that he can build us up into the God-fearing men that he created us to be. And so the, the beginnings of a warrior start with the crushing of a man. And we have to get away from all of our fleshliness and get out. And so I think even though this was hard, and man, if I sit there and I think about being in Peter's shoes— and I denied him for the third time, and the rooster crows, and I look up, and my Lord and Savior is staring me in the eyes. Man, I can't imagine the shame and just hurt in my soul in which I'm like, I said I was going to go to prison or death for this man, and yet I'm here denying him with my mouth in front of him. And so it says, and he went out and he wept bitterly. And so as men, how many times do we do this? 
How many times in our walk with Christ do we say, I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And yet, ultimately, we just walk right into that trap of Satan, and we do it every time because we are relying on our own strength and our own abilities instead of relying on the strength of the Holy Spirit inside of us. It says that, you know, if, if, we, if we truly call ourselves Christians, that Jesus has given us, God has given us the helper of the Holy Spirit, and that he dwells in us, and he should be the guiding force behind everything we do. Now we got Peter at basically rock bottom, right? He's, you know, he was full of, of gumption and full of um, passion and zeal. And now what has he done? Now he's walking away, weeping bitterly. Um, and really he just kind of, you know, Jesus dies on the cross um, and he's, you know, in the grave for three days. And we'll, what we'll do is we're going to skip over to John. Uh, and we're going to pick up the story of Peter there in John chapter 21. And in John chapter 21, Peter is still in his kind of funk of, uh, probably you call it depression. Um, you know, he's, he's upset with himself. He feels like he's a failure. Um, and really, in reality, let's be honest, man, he is a failure. Um, and let's be honest with ourselves. Without Jesus Christ in our lives, every single one of us is a failure. Um, and so... Without Jesus in our lives, every one of us is at this point of Peter. Whether we accept it, acknowledge it, or not, we are all, without Christ in our lives, are at this moment of Peter of, I'm a failure, there's nothing I can do, there's no war I can win, there's no battle I can succeed in unless I have Christ in my life. And so, in John chapter 21... We see Jesus's, it, the title of this section is Jesus's, uh, Jesus appears to the seven disciples. And so in verse 21, chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, we'll start there. And it says, After this, Jesus re- revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. In verse 2, it says, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got in a boat, but that night, but that night they caught nothing. So a little sidebar here. Let's, let's talk about this for a minute. What did they do? So Peter was a fisherman when Jesus met him, right? And he said, come follow me. And for three years, Peter devoted his life to following Jesus. And then just literally days after his denial and Jesus' death, what did Peter do? Peter just went back to going fishing. This kind of blows my mind and baffles me, but the more and more I think about it, how many of us men are just like Peter in the situation where, man, maybe we gave our life to the Lord and maybe we walked with him passionately and, and fervently for maybe years. But then something happened in our life and we just reverted back to the same old, same old worldly thing. For Peter, that was fishing. And what I find interesting is, is that John takes the time to say, and they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. There was nothing, nothingness. Listen, folks, the reason why the church in America is in the state that it is today is because many, many men have given their life to the Lord and maybe have walked with them for a time, but then they have gotten passive and they have gotten stale in their relationship with Christ. And instead of 
even though Jesus is gone in Peter's life, he knows the power and the sane, miracle-working faith that Jesus had. And yet, what does he do? He reverts back to passivity and just going back to what he knows and which is fishing, and it has no eternal impact on the world. How many of us men have done that? How many of us have given our life to the Lord and maybe walked passionately for a time, but the world began to creep up on us and we've just reverted back into doing what we know to do, which has no eternal impact? Listen, men, we are not called to revert back to just worldly things. We are called to continue to step forward. I mean, listen, guys, Peter saw the miracles of Jesus. He saw him drive out demons. He saw him heal the sick. He saw him do amazing, wonderful things. I mean, Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And yet, just mere days after Jesus is in the grave, Peter reverts back to passivity and reverts back to not continuing to push forward the kingdom of Christ. How many of us have men have done that? Again, I digress, but I just found that interesting that instead of standing firm on the faith of Jesus, because Jesus told them, I will die and I will come again three days later, they, they should have had the hope that Jesus was going to come again. But they were so focused on, I don't know what they were focused on, but they weren't focused on Jesus and what he said. And so within mere days, they revert back into passivity. What's up, what's up? It's time for that mid-podcast shout-out. But hey, we need some business partners to make a shout-out to. So by becoming a business partner, you get a place on our website and advertising right here on our growing podcast. To learn more, please visit nimrodoutdoors.com backslash ministry partners. Now, back to the episode. Let's jump forward to John chapter 21, verses 15. And so they're on the water and basically fishing. And Jesus comes along and he says, hey, have you caught anything? And they're like, no. And he's like, hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And so they do that and they catch this. And it says, then they, uh, it actually says that the net was full of large fish. It had 153 of them. So John actually knew the amount of fish that they caught, um, which is an interesting statistic. So Jesus said, come and have breakfast with them. And so in verse 15, we pick that up and it says they basically had breakfast in verse 15. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him, said it to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So here is the beginning of the renewal of Peter, right? And so this is the first interaction Peter has had with Jesus since 
Peter denied him, right? So when Peter denied him, says he went out and he wept bitterly. Well, then Jesus went through all his trials and uh, with, you know, uh, Pontius Pilate and all that, and he went to the cross. So there's really no interaction between Peter and Jesus from the time of his denial till now. And this has been several days. Um, and so you can imagine how Peter felt basically leaving the relationship of Jesus he had in, in that state of denial of saying, hey, I denied him. And so now he's back with Jesus. And it says like when he realized it was Jesus on the shore, he got excited and he came running full speed to give him a hug. Um, and, and he, he basically, I think in the, in the instance, it shows that Peter really loved Jesus because instead of just like regressing back, like, oh my gosh, there's Jesus, I'm embarrassed. His first initial reaction was excitement and love that his savior and his Lord was alive. But then you see Jesus interacting him and Jesus kind of addresses the elephant in the room and is just like, Hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter probably the first time was like, yeah, yeah, I love you. And then what is interesting is, what does Jesus say? He asked Peter three times. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. And so what Jesus is doing is taking each one of those denials and basically addressing each denial individually and taking care of it and basically saying, okay, I know that you love me. Your first denial, I know that you love me. Your second denial, I know that you love me. Your third denial, I know that you love me. But instead of just saying, okay, Peter, I forgive you. He gives Peter action steps. He gives Peter a purpose. He gives Peter a calling on his life. And what does he say? Well, the first time he asks if he loves him and Peter says, yes, he goes, feed my lambs. The second time he says, tend to my sheep. The third time he says, feed my sheep. And at the very end, what does he say? He says, follow me. See, as men, husbands and fathers, this is what we are called to do. This is our calling in life. If we call ourselves Christians, we are to feed Jesus's lambs. We are to tend Jesus's sheep. We are to feed his sheep and we are to follow him. That is our calling. That is our calling as spiritual leaders. But how many times are we not doing that? How many of us have given our life to the Lord, quote unquote, but yet we are sitting in passivity, just like Peter did going back and fishing. See, we have a a calling on our lives as spiritual leaders. We are to feed his lambs. Who are his lambs? Well, a lamb is a young, a young sheep. And so we are to feed. We are to feed our children and the youth and the children of God. We are to feed them spiritual food of the word of God. We are supposed to give them the source of power, which is, which is scripture. So we are to feed them spiritually. And then what does he say on the third one? Tend my sheep. And so what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to continue to take the people that are called by Christ and we are to tend to them. We are to love on them. We are to encourage them. We are uh, other believers in Christ. We are to come around them as the body of Christ and show them the love of Jesus. And, you know, when they weep, we weep. And when they are joyful, we are joyful. Um, We are to be the men and the spiritual leaders in the community of the body of Christ. And we are to tend to his sheep. Well, then on the third time, what does he say? He says, feed my sheep. So we are to feed the lambs. We are to tend the sheep, but we are also to feed the sheep that are called by his name. And so as spiritual leaders, again, it is our job to continue to pour wisdom from the truth of scripture into the lives 
of people who call themselves Christians. But also, ultimately, also, Jesus died on the cross for everybody, right? So they may not be his sheep yet, but we are called to impart wisdom of Scripture into this world. And we see we were never called. There's not a single time in this thing where he talks about defending who Christ is or defending the kingdom of Christ. He doesn't say pull out a sword and feed my sheep while you're, you know, defending them. He just says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And then the most important part at the very end, follow me. Are we following Jesus on a day-to-day basis? See, this was the calling. This was the passion. This was the spark in Peter's life that gave him purpose more than just fishing. It was a spark. It was an eternal spark and a spiritual spark that projected him into acts. Now, there was one last thing in John chapter 21 uh, that that Jesus kind of had to address. Okay, so he's given Peter this passion and this calling on his life to feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, and most importantly, follow me. Well, in John chapter 21, verses 21 through 22, what we see here is all too often we as men fall into this trap, and it's the trap of comparison. Let's start in verse 20. It says, And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following in them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, that is, what is that to you? You follow me. So what I find interesting here is Jesus had given Peter specific, a specific calling on his life. He didn't say this to any of the other disciples. He said it to Peter. Now he may have included it to Peter because I believe that this is the calling of all of us as men in the body of Christ is to feed feed his lambs, tend to his sheep, feed my sheep, and follow him. So I I definitely believe this is a calling to all disciples, but he was talking specifically to Peter in this. And what does Peter want to do? Peter wants to look around, and he sees John, and he says, Lord, what about this man? And what has Jesus said to him? He says, if it's my will that he remain until he come, what is that to you? So here's the thing. The devil wants to trap us into the comparison game. He wants us to get a calling from the Lord, but then he wants us to look at everybody else in the body of Christ and play this comparison game of, well, they're doing this, I should be doing this, or I'm doing this better than they're doing this, or whatever. Ultimately, guys, we all have individual callings on the Lord, and we need to make sure that what we're doing is what Jesus has called us to. Because if Johnny over there is doing something, and it is good, and it is what God has called him to do, that may not be what God has called us to do. And that is the biggest trap of the devil. And that is why, as the body of Christ, I believe we are not moving forward. Let's take it into just the church setting. How many people do you have serving in the church that are not in their calling in life? You have people that are serving in, in nursery or serving with children's church or serving, you know, doing a plethora of things, and they are miserable and they hate it. But they do it because they feel like, Oh, well, I got to serve the church. And no one, even including in church leadership, has ever taken the opportunity to ask them or to dive into them or discover specifically what they were created and called to do. But yet we play the comparison game of, well, he's doing this. If I'm going to be successful in following the Lord, I got to do that. 
look, it's so easy to do, especially in ministry. We see other ministries thriving and we're like, okay, what are they doing? Let's mimic that so that we'll thrive. Well, ultimately, if we're not doing what God called us to do as men, husbands, and fathers, and I'm talking about individually, I'm not talking about as a group, each and every one of us with fear and trembling need to sit at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, what are you calling me to do? What are you calling M.A. Dozier to do? What are you calling John to do? What are you calling, put your name in there. What are you calling me to do as a man of God? And if we don't do that, we can get very, very distracted and very off course because Jesus is calling us individually to do something, but yet we are distracted on what someone else is doing. And that's what Peter has done here. He's like, what about this dude? Like, what about that dude? What about, what about over here? What about this? What does Jesus say? What does that matter to you? Follow me. That's all he says to do. He says, what does that matter to you? You just follow me. You just sit at my feet and whatever I tell you to do, you go do it. You don't worry about anybody else. And that, I think that was the last little straw that, that Peter needed because even though he had passion and zeal and Jesus had given him a calling on his life, he knew that the devil was going to use the moment of comparison and, and looking at other people and even getting, probably Peter probably could get pretty self-righteous and, you know, go forward with passion and zeal, but someone else is not doing it just the way he would do it or doing it the way, you know, he feels is the right way. And what would Peter probably do? Peter would probably call him out and be like, hey, you're not doing that right. But what Peter got now is his main focus is just following Jesus. And who knows what Jesus is telling that guy over there to do. And so what's the, what this does is, man, this just projects Peter into an amazing opportunity in which he has dropped everything about himself and he has picked up the power of Christ inside of him. Now, it says that the disciples waited for 120 days in the upper room praying for the Holy Spirit to come. But once the Holy Spirit came, man, if you read through the book of Acts, you just see Peter on fire for the Lord. You know, the, he comes down and uh, he, preaches, uh, he preaches an amazing message. And it says over 3,000 souls gave their life to the Lord. Um, in Acts chapter 3, verses 4 through 9, um, you see an amazing, amazing boldness in Peter. And it's, you know, it's basically in verse one, it says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they had laid at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask for alms of those entering the temple. See Peter and John, seeing Peter and John and about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter looked direct, Peter directed his gaze at him as did John. And said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by his right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And he stood up and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping, praising God. So you see... Just in a mere, probably a couple months because of 120 days in the upper room. But you see, you take this man named Peter that was so focused on his own ability. And you see this process in which Jesus brought him to the point of crushing him as a man to build him up into the man that God has called him to be. And just a few months later, you see this man with so much passion and so much zeal, but it was fully reliant on the name of the Lord. Because up in, like, 
Peter before could have never gone to this man and said, get up and walk, and he had walked because Peter was relying on his own individual power. But Peter went forward with faith and confidence, knowing that the power that was coming out of him was not his own, but it was the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus. And man, there's I have so much want and passion in my life to be like Peter, to be able to go up to a lame man and say, get up and walk in the name of Jesus and believe that it will actually happen. And here's the truth, guys. You may be sitting here going, that's crazy. And it is crazy. But the same Holy Spirit that Peter had in his life to be able to do that, we have in our own life. And But are we taking the time to sit at the feet of Jesus and build a relationship with him and so that that power can just come out of us and infect the world and make a difference for the kingdom of Christ? So you see Peter being extremely bold and it was not a boldness on his own account it was not a boldness in defense it was not him drawing a sword out of boldness it was him literally coming into the world to to create healing and to to make the name of jesus greater what did peter say he didn't say but what i do have i give you in the name of peter get up and walk no he said in the name of jesus of nazareth He was giving all glory and honor back to Jesus because he knew that Jesus' name is the only name in which you can be healed. Will you skip forward to chapter 4 of Acts um, and 7 verse 14. And man, this this is another thing that just, man, the boldness of the disciples and especially Peter. But in chapter 4 verse 7, it says this, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. So basically what happened was they healed this guy. And the religious council hated it. And so they brought the disciples in, uh, brought Peter in and them in to question them. And it says, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, listen to that. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Men, if we don't have the Holy Spirit in us, even if we want to claim the name of Christ, if the Holy Spirit is not in us, we are powerless. So we need to make sure that we have surrendered our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes into us. But he says, it says, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the peoples and elders, if we have been examined today concerning the good deeds done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has come become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved. And it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Think about that for a minute. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. See, Jesus is not using seminary people he's not using pastors he's not using people that are you know high up theological masterminds he's using uneducated common men for the boldness and pursuit of christ because here's the deal it has nothing to do with them it has everything to do with that they are infected by the holy spirit 
And if we jump forward now to chapter 4, well, really, if we get into chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, you know, basically, the disciples are setting the world on fire in Israel because people don't know how to handle them. They're like, oh, my goodness, they have boldness. They have, you know, they have gumption. They're coming at us in the name of Jesus. Like, how do we handle this? And, and really, the religious elite of the time didn't know how to handle it. And so it says in Acts chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in, the, in Solomon's portico. So what's interesting is it says that many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. So the disciples were going out and, and just doing amazing things. They were healing people. They were casting out demons. They were proclaiming the name of Christ. And they were all in Solomon's portico. But it says this. This is interesting to me. In verse 13, it says, None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And so what this shows me is that the initial 12 had a passion and a zeal. And there were other people that probably claimed the name of Christ. But it says that none of them dared join them. Men, listen to me. When Jesus has called us to do something, we go do it. How many of us, the, the church is in the place that it is today, and we have young folks fleeing and vacating the church today because men have become passive and have sat there and seen other people being bold and saying, man, that's good, and I respect them, but I ain't going to go do that. We need to lay down our lives, whether it's we're not doing it because we feel like we may lose something or we're not doing it because we are afraid or whatever, it says that none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Look, we're not called to hold pastors, preachers, influencers of the faith in high esteem. We are called to be the pastors, preachers, and influencers. Let's walk forward in boldness in what Jesus has called us to do. And he has called us to feed his lambs, tend his sheep, feed his sheep, and follow him. We can't do that if we don't dare to join them. We are called to be mighty warriors in the body of Christ, and we are called to join in the fight. We cannot do that if we hide back in the shadows. And then it goes on in verse 14. It says, More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that, that, even, so that they even carried out sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, and that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on them. Listen to that. It says that, that Peter went forward with so much boldness that they carried out sick and laid them in mats in the streets so that hopefully that the shadow of Peter himself would just fall on them. Men, that is what we are called to do. Because here's the thing. The shadow that Peter was casting was no longer his own shadow, but it was the power of Jesus Christ that the shadow was coming out of him. And people recognized, people wanted what Peter had. And it was not anything of Peter himself. It was all of the Holy Spirit. But Peter was a vessel in which the Lord was using in mighty ways. And people were drawn to it. And people were like, what is this? I want some of that. And so that they even hoped that his shadow would just fall on them. Men, is that the power that you have in your life? Is that the influence you have in the communities around you? Because if you say that you have the Holy Spirit in you, 
You have the same Holy Spirit that Peter had, and there should be no difference in the impact you have in the kingdom of Christ and the community around you. This is a hard thing because I struggle with it myself. But do we follow out what Jesus has called us to do as men, husbands, and fathers? And are we casting a shadow in which people want to be under in order that they might find healing? Because if they stick around close enough to us, maybe they get introduced to this man named Jesus who died on the cross for them and can save them from their souls. Is that the shadow we cast? What I find interesting, though, is it's not all rainbows and unicorns, right? So the further and further we push into Jesus as men, husbands, and fathers, the more and more the devil's going to come at us. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 40, this is a bit of a scripture that has always dumbfounded me, and I've always prayed that I would have this kind of passion and zeal in my life and my following of Jesus Christ and in my relationship with him. And in chapter 5, verse 40, it says, basically, they had been called into the council, and it says, and when they had called the, in the apostles... They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So what I find interesting here is, man, they were going through setting the world on fire for the name of Christ, and somebody, the devil, using the religious elite, set forth to put it into it. And they thought by beating them and by shaming them that they could do it. But they, they had a passion and a zeal that did not allow them to have it. But this is what I want to be focused on. <clears throat> when we are followers of Christ, how often does persecution come against us? How often do things happen in this world that we don't agree with and that might hurt us or affect us? even in the political realm or just in our communities or whatever. And it comes against us. And how many of us want to fight in defense? How many of us want to be like Peter at the beginning and draw our sword and say, nope, we're not allowing this to happen. But what did they do? They took the beating and then they walked away rejoicing. Look, men in the church, especially in America, we do not take the beating. We get up in arms and we build walls that separate others from Jesus because we want to be correct and we want to be just and we want to be right. But Jesus never called us to do that. Sometimes it is more better. It is more better. <laughs> Sometimes it is better and it is more edifying to the kingdom of Christ to literally sit there and take the beating. And then what does it say? It says they didn't even complain. It says that they rejoiced and counted it worthy to suffer this honor for the name of Christ. And then what did they do? They continued every day in the temple and from house to house. They did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. So as men, what I find interesting in the story about Peter is that at the very beginning, he was counting on his own, his own pride, his own ego, his own strength. And it literally took Jesus crushing him as a man to be able to get all of Peter out of Peter and infect him with the Holy Spirit. And he comes through and becomes a man in which people laid in the streets and praying that his shadow would just fall on them. And so this is what I want you to find, what, what you want to hear from this, is that that shadow that Peter casted was not Peter's shadow, that it was all about 
the name and the uplifting of Jesus. Because without him, our vic- there is no victory without Jesus in our life. We need supernatural intervention because 100% of the time left up to our own ability, we will fail and we will burn ourselves to the ground because we are flawed individuals. But when we allow the Holy Spirit to indwell us and to push us forward and we are fervently sitting at his feet asking him, what do you want from me, Lord? He gives us direction, he gives us purpose, and he tells us exactly how to do it. And as long as we walk in that purpose, man, we will make massive impact for the kingdom of Christ. And again, that does not say that there will not be troubles. That does not say you will not be brought in before councils and you will be beat. That does not mean that you may not lose some earthly thing here in this life. But what it does mean is that you are pursuing and moving forward with the passion of Christ like no one has ever seen. And ultimately, it set the world on fire. And because of these men in Acts, we are sitting here today talking about this. And it says that they daily went from house to house and temple to temple. And it says daily people were added to the kingdom of Christ. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you've seen someone added to the, to the kingdom of Christ? Lord, guys, I, I, I hope it's daily. But I'll tell you this, there's not a church I've been in in 34 years that daily I'm seeing people being baptized. Baptism normally happens once every couple months. Why is this? It's because men have sat down and laid down and gone back to fishing, doing what the world wants them to do instead of going forth in the gospel of Christ. Men, may we stay humble, may we stay focused, and may we keep pressing forward in the calling Jesus has given us of feeding his lambs, tending his sheep, feeding his sheep, and following him every morning when we get up, our feet hit the ground, and we passionately pursue the calling of Christ and asking him, Lord, today, what do you want from me? And whatever he says, we go do it. And if we get beat, we If we get beat for the name of the Lord, we rejoice in it and we continue going forward because God never called us to defend the kingdom of Christ. He has already won the victory. We are called to be rescue, to go on rescue mission, to find souls and bring them back to Jesus. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope it, you know, it, it is encouraging to me. It's something that I see, uh, in my own life because I rely a lot on who I am and my character, but man, it, Really, the more and more you get into it, it is nothing about us. It is all about Jesus. And can we just be conduits in which the world sees Jesus through us? So again, stay humble, stay focused, and keep pressing forward. Y'all have a great day. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Nimrod Outdoors, find us on Facebook or look us up at nimrodoutdoors.com. We hope you have a great day and we hope to see you next time.